1: as smart as he usually is. A drive. Go play on
0: the not the first time we've seen
2: a superstar in Maine and White start to fight my and body. Welcome in to another episode of First to the Floor, Ben Vallis here, thank you for joining us, hope you're doing well. Tonight, another edition of Celtics Face-Off, the first of this off-season, plus we've got the Fro Report and a few spicy news tidbits to get to alongside me, it's one Wayne Spoonie. Spoonie, how you doing, sir? I'm alright, Ben, I helped my buddy
0: move today, I'm wow. just too old for that, wow. like carrying couches, I, I feel like
2: I was in a fight. That's brutal, man. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, I'm tough. great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, We've also got the winner of round one of our Celtics trivia bonanza. It's Jake Eisenberg. Jake, how you doing, sir? What up, what up, what up? Yeah, no, I I stopped asking people to help me move
1: because then I have, like, the excuse to say, no, I... I'm not helping yeah. you. I'll never ask you to help me move. Don't worry. So, um, that, that's where I'm at with moving. I've had a bad back since I was like 10. So, I'm not, I'm not doing
2: that. It's <laughs> also a great way to get out of things. Like, sorry, I'm moving that weekend. I can't come to your two-year-old's True. birthday party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Now, a couple of things. So, we've got trivia. Tuesday night, round two of our Celtics trivia bonanza with Greg and Will from Green with Envy. And before we get to the meat of this podcast, Celtics face-off, we do have some news starting with a new signing of the Celtics. The Celtics sign this guy, DJ Stewart, I guess a real steward of the game, uh, to compete for a uh, third two-way spot there on the Celtics. And I guess it's a training camp deal. Spoonie... This is a Duke guy. He played for Philly in the Summer League, as Spoonie looks nervous as I throw to him first for D- <laughs> DJ Stewart takes. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this uh, This new gentleman that we've got on the team? <laughs> so I, I I would say, like,
0: I don't watch a ton of college basketball, but I watch a decent amount. Uh, I feel like I missed DJ Stewart existing. Uh, Bobby <laughs> Manning's tweet was the first time yeah. that DJ Stewart was – introduced to me although i will say from what i can see it looks like he shot it well in college and i uh and he shot it really well in summer league so scoring guard um you know and i i you just might as well take a shot on somebody who can shoot threes right you know they might have a role in the league i don't really understand a third guard as yeah. a two-way spot though which is kind of weird to me but i don't think he's does he have it yet or are they just bringing him in
1: no he's competing for the third two-way yeah. slot Yeah, so I'm shocked that Harry Giles has not got that slot yet. I'm wondering if he's, like, holding out for, like, a training camp invite that, like, has the potential to actually be a roster spot before he just accepts a situation where it will definitely be a two-way because Tatum's just, like – the captain of the Harry Giles propaganda train every off season. And the fact that it's not come through yet is very surprising. But yeah, look, I'm not going to pretend to have a lot of DJ Stewart takes here. I'm also surprised that we're bringing another six foot one guard. Like he kind of just sounds like Peyton Pritchard, but smaller and worse. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe like Brad and the crew did, didn't love what they saw from JD Davison. I don't know. Maybe they're thinking that like, we do we want someone that we can actually see coming in and filling like a third guard role that you know jd didn't really look particularly ready for after the summer league as much as i was probably at the captain of the jd davison hype train going into summer league um so maybe that's what they're thinking like they mm-hmm. want someone to but if, if you have three of them maybe one of them pops into like the guy that can turn into like the the fourth guard that they're looking for but other than that I don't know, Brad. Brad finally he he went out. He loves his blondes. He's six foot seven, six foot eight, six foot nine guys. He's gone. he has gone for a redhead today. Six foot one. It's like the, one of the shortest people he's brought into the Celtics organization. It feels like in since he's been running the show.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, the only takeaway I've got is I listened to the rights of the Ricky Sanchez podcast earlier, and they were annoyed that the Celtics had signed this guy DJ Stewart, who had performed quite well for them the Sixers in Summer League and were annoyed at the fact that the Celtics continue to exhibit themselves to be a franchise who know what they're doing by signing guys who are playing well currently or have played well recently so the fact that Sixers fans were frustrated by this signing I think is all I need from this personally yeah, and if nothing, win. Else, yeah, yeah. if nothing else comes of it uh, that's fine alright anything else? You great that's great research great research from Vin.
1: that's <laughs> yeah. the, that's the podcast prep that we needed and I cannot wait To go
2: enjoy that. Yeah. Well, I was also listening to prepare for this next segment, which we call the Schadenfreude Report. Schadenfreude. The Sixers. Schadenfreude. The Lakers. Schadenfreude. The Heat. Schadenfreude. Milwaukee Bones. Schadenfreude. Warriors. Schadenfreude. Jake, I'm going to throw to you as the inventor of the Schadenfreude Report. Take it away, (laughs) sir.
1: I feel like I've given off the, the vibes that I'm a, like a little bit petty and... But, you know, oh, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a good guy. But at the same time, there's <laughs> nothing that brings me more joy than my enemies uh, stumbling, failing. Um, and this is perfect. Like, this is why the Freud Report has been created. And it is due to the report that came out from Adrian Wojnarowski yesterday. Popped it up on the screen here if you're watching the YouTube The 76ers have ended trade talks on James Harden and plan to bring him back to training camp for the start of the off for the season. The Sixers had periodic offseason conversations with the Clippers. Harden's desired destination, but no traction on a deal materialized. There's like another tweet from Moj that says like setting up for an uncomfortable um, training camp. Sam Amick on the athletic reporting um, that basically Harden doesn't plan to report to training camp at this point, which is just beautiful. Like the last the last time that this happened, obviously, uh was the Ben Simmons situation. They were able to kind of flip Ben Simmons into James Harden and honestly absolutely nailed that trade. Like as much as you could have gotten for Ben Simmons, I think, worked out. This is a very different situation, hence why James Harden has not been traded yet. He's thirty-four years old, had another flame out in the playoffs. Um this is this is beautiful. Basically, the Sixers <laughs> just had Maybe their best season, like taking over the rights to Ricky Sanchez. Part they had convinced themselves that this team was different. Maxi, the Harden, MB play, like MB was literally the MVP last year. James Harden was like in the tops of. Did he lead the league in assists last season? Like I he think was, so. he was pretty close. Um, George Niang, they lose. They lose Jalen McDaniel's. Um, for for salary-ducking purposes. They get poison-pilled contracted by our good friend Danny Ainge. Um, That's really the only good move that they've done this offseason, and it's like they kind of had to bring back Paul Reed. If they lost him, then they literally would have had Dwayne Denman. Montrez Harrell's already done his ACL. Not that that's good or would have mattered, really. I think with or without ACL, Harrell's having the same impact on winning a title. They pretty much had their best-case scenario last season, and now you go into next season with a James Harden that is infamous for wearing the fat suit to get out of uh, Houston. Had one of the most extraordinary performances against the Sacramento Kings when playing for the Nets to get himself out of Brooklyn. Like this man has absolutely no shame and absolutely no self-awareness, in my opinion, to think that I'm in a contract year. I got to turn up. I got to play. I think he actually believes that if he gets to free agency after another tumultuous malcontent season that there's going to be a big contract waiting for him. And look, there might be a team that talks himself into like a three for 60 for James Harden. Like, you know, if he doesn't play that much, but this was a, this was a, this is a disaster. Like that was a best case for them last year. The best case for them next year is a, is a thinner roster. George Niang, He was actually good in that Celtics series. Low key. Um, They lose. Niang. Jalen
2: Brown's leg as he fell into the bench. (laughs) Smart man. Yes. (laughs)
1: Elite role player. Respect the attempt. Respect the attempt, and now you lose these two guys. Bring um, is it not Malik Beasley? Who did they bring in for? Um, I've I forgot Anthony Melton. They've got the Melton still. They brought. They signed one person who I'm who's just escaping me right now. But um, oh yeah, I don't know. But Embiid played what sixty six games last year. His career high is sixty eight. Like he he basically maxed out his outcome last season by winning the MVP and. You know who doesn't really need an excuse to not go ball to the walls? Is Joel Embiid. James Harden comes in half-assing it. Joel Embiid might be feeling like he wants to half-ass it too a couple of weeks into this season. So, um, like, best case scenario, James Harden buys in and they are just older and worse than last year. That's, like, the best case scenario. They're thinner and older. Worst case, they literally, like, this era is over and Embiid asked for a trade. It's, this is... One of my favorite Sean and reports to date.
0: What do you think, Spoonie? I I mean, at some point, <laughs> do you have to look in the mirror of Daryl Morey and just <laughs> trade Joel Embiid? Like, where, this is going... You just laid it out perfectly, Jake. Like, there is no upside to where this team is at right now. There is no way for them to improve. I, there's no... Absolutely no chance they are going to trade James Harden and get better. So if they just keep him... They already hit... I mean, the Celtics didn't even play particularly well for a few of those Sixers games. Like, that should not have gone seven. And they still lost. So (laughs) you're going to have a worse version of the team that lost in the second round come back? Like, what is that accomplishing? I mean, do you just, like, blow it up and start over again? I I mean, I think that, like, we're at the point where they have to seriously start having that discussion because Embiid's only got a year or two left on his contract, too. Like, he can go... Or it's one phone call from Joel Embiid saying, I want out. And then your whole world gets flipped over. You lose a bunch of leverage. And all of a sudden, you're left holding the bag and you're reprocessing. So, <laughs> like, I think, I think strike early on these superstar yeah. uh, deals, in my opinion, get the most max value and just, like, go a different direction, Sixers, because it's not worked. It's over. <laughs> we ended it again.
2: Yeah. What we they do. they deserve yeah. everything they're getting. Like the, the process <laughs> is it's an NBA war crime. It should have never been allowed to happen. Then when it did happen, they fired Sam Hinkie, the architect of the process, just further digging their own hole as far as like poor like front office team organization navigation. And now they find themselves here in this this hole they've dug for themselves. It's fully deserved. From a Celtics fan perspective, obviously, you couldn't love anything more than this current situation. I do still think, like, as far as through the lens of the upcoming regular season, I would prefer Harden not on the team. Because it is James Harden, and he is a threat on any given night. You know, we saw it in the playoffs, game one. He is a threat any given night to to sink your team, sure. And, you know, as, as long as he's there, he's always a threat to shut us down on, on an, any given night. But just to see that kind of discombobulation from their franchise, it's, uh, it's great. I love nothing more as a Celtics fan than seeing the Sixers lose. And like losing in a time of the year where no basketball is being played, like we can't even reach out and <laughs> <know>. grab basketball <laughs> on either side of us. We're so far away from it. And they're just like... Copping huge L's when like all other teams are completely silent. It's great. I love it so it, it,
1: much. It's like the only way for things to go bad is if you have a player playing in the World Cup and they get injured and the Sixers are still finding a way to to lose. Um, <laughs> then I'll, I'll, I'll spin it for you and why it's actually a good thing that James Harden stays is because maybe short term they get a worse deal and they're worse for this season, but he's a free agent. Mm-hmm, like sure. they could literally just lose him for nothing. They will most likely lose him for nothing if he stays. So if... If the Celtics could just, you know, outlast the Sixers again this season, which is very likely to me because they're probably better again. Jason Tatum on the up, Joel Embiid just probably capped out, um, and then I just like think Dara Morey has the the hubris similar to James Harden and thinking that they both have the leverage when neither of them have the leverage, and Dara Morey still believing that James Harden is that guy when he hasn't been that guy for like two years now, and believing that Joel Embiid's that guy when. He is, in fact, not that guy. So. Is,
0: is there any better way to like describe the state of these two franchises? Sixers fans are dealing with one of their stars asking out we're talking about DJ Stewart.
2: Like, how, how different <laughs> yeah. can you be? <laughs> Who they absolutely had the opportunity to sign, You're right. having yeah, played for them yeah. in the, the, <laughs> the Summer <Yeah>. League. <laughs> and doesn't it just make you love Jason Tatum that much more? Like, the news, if you want to call it that, we talked about it before we went live. Jason Tatum walking into, I think it was the, the Hall of Fame ceremony up the red carpet, a Heat fan yells out, come and join the Heat and he's like, nah, and just completely waves them off and then immediately daps up someone else who I hope was a was a Celtics fan. Uh, that's <laughs> our superstar. That's what we're dealing with. And meanwhile, they've got all this going on. And then, you know, on Harden's best day, there's still all of these concerns and issues with Joel Embiid and his wavering effort level and approach and injury concerns and things like that. So um, tough day, again, to be a to be a Sixers <laughs> fan. Um, Spoonie, I will ask you this, though, and Jake, obviously keen to hear your take on this as well. Like, the Clippers were involved, I guess, as mm-hmm. the other member of the two-person dance with the Sixers as far as a potential Harden trade was concerned. We were recently in talks with them in, in trade negotiations that broke down involving Malcolm Brogdon. Does Brad try and swoop in here and now like re-engage the Clippers in our own trade talks or or reignite the Harden trade conversation but including Malcolm Brogdon now that this is all sort of falling apart? I, I, I cannot envision Daryl Morey being willing to –
0: do a trade where we're included Um, I I just don't think he'd be interested in that I I get kind of the impression from Brad that like we're basically done and uh, we're not going to have any more big moves I think he's comfortable with the team as is but I mean Harden for his faults was really really important for the Sixers last year like he really was their offense in a lot of ways he had a lot of the ball and he got Joel Embiid into his spots and it was the best season of Embiid's career so like even if you find a trade with the Clippers, I struggle to see one that makes you markedly better. Maybe you break even with like Norm Powell and Covington, and you just get crazy switchable on defense or something. But I don't know, man. Like, is Norm? Are you scared of Norm Powell in a seven game series? Well, maybe a little bit, but
1: he, he did not really. Up, he did put a forty yeah. plus in one of those games with uh, with our Kawhi and in, in the playoffs, yeah. but like, then they then they lost. Like, yeah, no, yeah. I I think. They're they're out of moves, it feels like. And the Malcolm Brogdon thing, I think we like when me and Ben ran through all those lineups last episode, like you kinda of need a you kinda of need Brogdon right now. Unless like I think Norm Powell is similar to Brogdon as ball handler, but I think Brogdon is definitely closer to a point guard. And and in his career, I think people have definitely speculated that maybe we're gonna see more of a playmaking version of Brogden, some of those high assist numbers that we've seen in the past. I do think we probably like we probably just want to keep Brogdon at this point. Um, that would be that would be my guess.
2: Yeah, he is very good. Uh, do we have any <laughs> Any <laughs> other Schadenfreude, Jake, that we, you want to run us through before we? So move
1: on? we I did come across this on uh, Reddit today um, on our NBA discussion from I'm still not that guy. Uh, must be a, a Sixers fan, but um, <laughs> the 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 title to this one is: Is Milwaukee's title window Closed? I'll say yes. Truth be told, it closed on April 20th, 2022. Uh, happy 420 on that day. Um, issues that have plagued the Bucks for years. No wings, no backup point, no secondary shot creator, lack of athleticism are still things that need to be addressed but haven't been due to lack of cap space and trade assets. Only this time, they're a year older and less healthy. Their roster is the oldest in the league. They've missed the most games in the league due to injury since 21-22 and a fresher removed from a first round exit. They'll continue to play rigidly on both ends simply because they don't have the personnel to do anything different. They just haven't added, added any significant piece on either end to borrow a revamp in playstyle. The biggest acquisition was Malik Beasley and some no-name second-round picks in this year's draft. AJ Green is in talks to be their backup point guard, and he's a spot-up shooter. I agree. I don't know. The this this like penciling the bucks in, like them getting the benefit of the doubt as just like this clear-cut number one team in the East. I do not understand at all anyone like. Putting them there at this point, like every year, there's injuries where you know that that helps the title team, but their run is so specifically fraudulent. Like they were (laughs) trying to fire Budenholzer in the middle of that net series. Yeah, that's right. James Harden hurt his hamstring in game one and the Nets still win the first two games. They're up big in game three and Kyrie does his ankle, the net, and then the Bucs come back and squeak it out. And they get the freaking Trey Young Hawks because the Sixers, again, were not those guys. Yes. And then on the other end, they got to play the Suns. And I will give Giannis credit. He went to like an all-time level in that series. But that mm-hmm. Suns series got all the way through because they played the Clippers with no um, Kawhi and the Jokic in Nuggets with like, Faku Kamparzo is a starting point guard. Whereas the Celtics run into the, the Warriors and Steph Curry, a top 10 player of all time. Like that run in particular is like quite fraudulent relative to like recent champions. Uh, but you know, banners fly, fly forever. That's the reality. But um, the fact that they get still penciled into for me when they continue to get older or less, less athletic does not make any sense to me.
0: I wonder what the narrative would be if Kevin Durant's shoe was like an inch or foot was like an inch smaller, because we would be looking at first round exit, because I think they got knocked out by the heat in the first round in the bubble. Yep. Second round exit. Second round exit. First round exit. Right. I think Mm -hmm. that's their last four if they don't win that title. Like Giannis would be considered probably one of the biggest chokers of all time. But Durant's foot, you know the Brooklyn Nets just completely fell apart with injuries, Durant's foot's on the line, and then here we are like it seems like every time people talk about the Bucks, it's just like hand waving their issues because they yes. have Giannis. Like oh, they have Giannis, it's fine. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. They they weren't fine this past year and they had Giannis and Middleton was back, like Middleton was supposed to be this panacea for all their ills that that Giannis can't cover for and like he doesn't really look like the same guy anymore either especially on the defensive end so uh, yeah I I mean I just do not love having a team that is that incredibly old and you're losing like Javon Carter's like a nice young defensive piece who hits open threes he's out the door Malik Beasley can't guard anybody and you already had trouble stopping like wings who can dribble mm-hmm. um we saw tatum and brown just fly by everyone that the bucks put on them last season so i i'm leaning i'm
2: leaning towards yeah i'm agreeing with you jake that it, it's closed for the bucks <laughs> well just the the comment there that was just up on our on our stream by was a blood of the panther no championship is fraudulent fellas, you better Fair. you know better than that um the lakers bubble championship Absolutely yeah, fraudulent. <laughs> uh, but yeah. yeah, I agree. No, no real championship is is fraudulent. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things, just to play devil's advocate, really. So Giannis last season hurt his back like quite brutally in game yes. one, and then um, Middleton was never really back. Like he was back in a physical sense, but like you know the engine was running, but no one was behind the wheel. He wasn't back to his true yeah. form yet. And then for just championships in general, we talk about like it's two things: like be talented enough to be in the mix and then be healthy enough to be the last team standing in some regard. Obviously, you have to play your way into a championship, and play well and scheme well and things like that. But a huge part is just having the talent and being healthy at the end. The year where they won, they were healthy and they won. And they're talented enough to win, if healthy. The issue has been that they just haven't been healthy consistently enough. But that's something that plagues talented teams every year. And they were lucky enough and you know, fortunate enough and healthy enough to sneak through that one year. And we're still yet to do that which hurts to say as much as I hate the Bucks. Yeah, we're not frauds. We're just,
1: just, we are who we are. I'd probably trade with them. (laughs) (laughs) Give me me the fraudulent championship every day of the week, please. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um,
2: But, you know, we can talk about it all day, and it's the offseason, and we have been doing that. We've been been (laughs) circling back on the same topics over and over again, but I feel really good about the Celtics roster and its diversity. And, like, if Zinger goes down, like, we're still kind of just the same team again, but without Marcus Smart. Who proved themselves to be good in long stretches last year? So I think that we have um, like more redundancies that oh. um, that we can shine on through compared the to depth. teams like the Bucks, and that's what makes us a lot better than them. Hopefully, the going depth forward.
1: is incomparable. Depth is mm-hmm. incomparable. Like we're, we we we're, we go nine deep pretty comfortably with Pritchard being the ninth guy, and that's before we get to like O'Shea, Prissett and Walsh. Um, Blake okay. and Cornette, obviously all the all the big dogs. <laughs> obviously, um, yeah. 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 Um, look, they still have Giannis, and look, if we're if this isn't the middle of the shot and Ford report, maybe I'm like, look, they have Giannis, who is in the top tier of three players, in my opinion: Giannis, Jokic, and Steph Curry. And when you have one of those three guys, you have a chance to win a title, and your window is open. So I think maybe from that perspective, it's open just because of of Giannis. Um, you coach. Rest- is- yeah, look. If you're a Bucks fan, you're like you're you're talking yourself right into it, right? But it's like, okay, are you gonna are you gonna teach Brook Lopez how to switch? Are you gonna make Malik Beasley be out of guard big wings? Was the surgery the second surgery that Chris Middleton got in the off season gonna make him better at defending than he was last year? Like, the reality is, when you get to the playoffs, you're like putin Pundholzer was was scheming drop coverage only because he kind of had no choice. It's like, what are you going to do? Switch everything with Jay Crowder and Joe Ingles? No. Well, not you can play
0: Brooke. Yeah. Like, not, they got to play Brooke.
1: He's, he's yeah. like by far and away, they're like the second, third or fourth best player. So it's like, you take him off the court and it's like Bobby Portis is your small ball five or a switch lineup. And it's like, good luck with that. You know? So I, the coach thing, you're 100% talking yourself into a, a revamp with play style, but like, I don't know what you're gonna do.
2: Also, am I crazy? But is the blueprint for defending Giannis in the playoffs not like just widely known at this point? Like sag off, make him shoot mid-range mm-hmm. jumpers, collapse on him in the paint. Like it's kind of it's it's widely known at this point. And obviously, he's an incredible dominant player, but he's not. I don't think he's unstoppable now, at least in in terms of a playoff scheming perspective.
1: No, and people like to talk about how the Celtics offense kind of crumbles. And we've talked about that as being like our number one issue to fix. The Bucks have been much worse in those moments. Like their crunch time half-court offense, half offense has been a disaster through the entire Giannis era, except for that one run. Um, and they have not been able to discover it. Like they, the Celtics collapsed a couple of times against the Heat. The Bucs collapsed worst. Um, at least the Celtics are willing to take shots. Um, Giannis was just throwing the ball out of bounds into like the backcourt and stuff like that, um, being scared to get fouled. It was... Um, Pretty wild.
2: Yeah. All right, look, quick word from our sponsors, and then we're (laughs) going to get to the meat of this podcast, Celtics Face Off. Football season is about to kick off and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. The Kansas City Chiefs are plus 600 odds to win the Super Bowl currently on FanDuel. They play the Detroit Lions in the first game of the season where they are currently minus 6.5 favorites. A good chance to win the Super Bowl there plus potential returns throughout the regular season. You can use your bonus bets on spread Player props, over/unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com/boston and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com/boston. 21+ and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Restrictions apply. Max bonus $50 unless specified otherwise. See terms at FanDuel.com/sportsbook. Hope is here. Gambling Helpline MA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24/7 support play it smart from the start gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Have you guys wavered on that choice at all any other like options that you might choose Spoonie on Jake we've gotten your take on this yeah Spoonie have you got another team that you might think of there I've got an incredible soft spot for the Cincinnati Bengals okay, uh, nice. I love Joe
0: Burrow they're a really good team like they got a quarterback I would only bet on a team with a quarterback right yes. like mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins I ain't betting on Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Uh, but Burrow, he's done it. He's gotten him to the Super Bowl. He's right, like hitting his prime age. So I would, I would check the Bengals' odds out, you know, sprinkle a little on that.
1: Don't mind the Bengals. They got a tough division. Um, but they I, do. Um, yeah, stick with the, stick with the Chiefs or the Eagles because the NFC West is so bad. The mm-hmm. NFC is so bad. I will give out, um, I've been diving into August is football month for me. And so NFC West, Seahawks plus 300 to win the division would be something that I'm looking at. Um, the Niners Gino Brock baby. Burdy. Yeah, Gino time. I'm not sure I trust uh, the Brock Purdy uh, situation in uh, San Francisco. So uh, that would be my... I'll, I'll probably bring one every week at this point. That's where I'm at. <laughs> so.
2: Cool. All right. Well, well, we'll take your guys' word for it. I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to American, <laughs> American football. Me either. Uh, talk to me about rugby league if you like. But uh, anyway... <laughs> Thanks to our sponsor there, FanDuel, and thanks to CLNS. Spoonie, over to you to kick off the meat of this podcast, Celtics Face-Off.
0: Okay, Celtics Face-Off is essentially a highly scientific (laughs) analysis of very specific things, where we take two specific things and run it through our high-tech logarithms and then we each choose which of those things we think is the best. Again, highly scientific. No lie. Um, so it could be basically whatever we want. Um, but Jake, I think, why don't you toss one out and we'll go around the room and and uh, you'll figure this out.
1: All right. So my first Celtics face-off is Derek White floaters versus Jason Tatum's defensive rebounding. So- oh. Yeah, I tried to, yeah, just trying to think of two things that I think that like two guys are underrated at in like kind of like random skills. Um, We'll start with Derek White floaters. We all know it. We all love it when we see it. The herky-jerky, absolutely no space, um, gets it up on the rim and it just kind of rolls over. Derek White was 58 from 109 floaters last season. That's good for 53%. Now... In comparison, Steph Curry was uh, 46% on floaters, Jar Morant was 43%, and Jalen Brunson was 52%, all of which had like uh, more volume, or well, Jar and Brunson had more volume with over 300 attempts, and Steph only took 71. And then Trey Young's the gold standard at like 64% when it comes to floaters, as Celtics fans know pretty well from that Hawks series. He's elite at 64%. But Derek White, to be ahead of Brunson, to be ahead of Jar, to be ahead of Steph, three players that come to mind when you think about having really good floaters and being able to impact in that, like, just out the restricted area range. So that's the Derek White floater. Jason Tatum, defensive rebounding, led the led the Celtics in rebounding across the board last season. In the playoffs... Jason Tatum was third out of all players in defensive rebounds per game, ahead of Gobert, Giannis, Looney, Embiid, Bam, Mobley, Ayton, Claxton, Sabonis, Zubac. All big men, all known for rebounding. The only two players ahead of him in defensive rebounds per game was Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic. Wow. He's an elite rebounder, like elite defensive rebounder. And it's just like... It's, one of the most underrated parts of his game because it adds to his overall defensive impact. So those are my two options. Derek White floaters, Jason Tatum, defensive rebounding. Ben, I'll throw it to you.
2: This is tough. Like, Derek White, 53% on floaters, but lower volume. But he's going to be in a much more prominent role this year. So that volume's going to go up. Does the percentage hold? And then with Tatum, I kind of, like... Tell me if I'm correct me if I'm wrong here this is a little hot takey but I feel like most of Tatum's defensive rebounds come quite easily like like just in terms of where who he's guarding where he's positioned defensively and like coaching wise like they want Tatum to start things off in terms of kicking things out in transition a little Westbrooky there I guess and so it's not like he's like battling down low and like sneakily holding Shorts, like hiding it from the ref and like really like strategically Dennis Rodman style rebounding. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't want to take away. He's obviously a great rebounder. But like, I think we can get by without that from Tatum. But next year, Derek White, starting point guard. Less defensive attention on him, more focused on the Jays. We're going to need other scoring punches, and that floater going in at a regular clip, I think, is going to be more important for the Celtics. So I'm going to take Derek White's floater. Can I, okay. can, I just,
1: can I just counter that point before you go? Yeah, screen? I thought just, you might. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is specifically the playoffs. So not regular season. I think okay. you're right. Okay. So I and then again, I would I would argue how many of your of every player's rebounds are like. Really, like relatively uncontested. Like how many of Jokic's defensive rebounds are, are relatively uncontested? Like if that's mm-hmm. your job, that kind of is. I think part of the reason why they sell this crater while he goes off the court in the playoffs is because they're missing that and fucking P.J. Tucker comes
2: in and gets offensive rebounds. Um, yeah, so I, I um, It's a hard go. choice. It's like, a hard it's choice. Almost, there's almost no right answer. Um, okay, anyway, so Spoonie, what do you think?
0: There, there is a contested rebound percentage stat and Tatum oh. ranks very low on it. There you go. But... That but it's a wonky stat because if like you do your centers, do a good job boxing out and you come in and like secure the rebound, that's important. Like mm-hmm. that matters. It's preventing someone else from All sweeping right. in and get it. So I don't totally trust that stat. I think definitely in the regular season, he is nine, Westbrook. Yes. Yeah. Six foot nine Westbrook with the rebounds. But I, I think in the playoffs, he was really battling on the glass big time, but, but being up there with the Currys and the Jaws and the Brunsons and efficiency on floaters, that's going to be an incredibly important shot for him because White, if there's a weakness in his game, it just doesn't quite have like the athletic pop to get all the way to the rim super often. So that floater is going to be huge for him. So I, I think I got to agree with you, Ben. I think it's got to be D. White's floater, but it's close. It's real close.
1: I, th- I think that's the right answer. But yeah. I'm just I'm I'm Tatum rebound pilled at this point for after this off season. <laughs> yeah, so. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, who's who? Am I do I do I go again now? Yeah, let's just do no, the worst here. Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, that's oh, fine. oh, it's yeah. Spoonie. Apologies, yeah. it's your segment. How, <laughs> take, how would you like? Yeah, to write? yeah let let, yeah. let Spoony take the next draft pick here. Let's okay, Ben,
0: how is yours? How is yours? You've got two, right? Yes. I'm reading that correctly. All yes. right, Ben, why don't you throw one out?
2: Okay, so I've got Derek White, <laughs> uh, two and a half. Derek White's yeah. <laughs> handoff proficiency slash efficiency or Porzingis's pick and roll defense. So, Derek White on handoff plays. 98th percentile league-wide, Derek White involved in handoff plays. I believe it's as the recipient of the ball on a handoff, um, mm-hmm. but I, I could be interpreting that incorrectly. Regardless, 98th percentile, which is obviously very good. score frequency on those plays. So we're scoring on those plays almost 60% of the time, which is huge, obviously ranks very highly, with an 81.7 effective field goal possession on Derek White handoffs. Elite. So that's one. Or Kristaps Porzingis' pick-and-roll defense, ranking in the 85th percentile. Opposition teams, opponents, if you will, only a 34.5% score frequency on plays where... Kristaps Porzingis is defending the role man and shooting just 38% effective field goal percentage on those plays defended by Kristaps Porzingis defending pick and roll. So both hugely effective on opposite ends of the court, both uh, high in terms of necessity rankings for the Celtics success going into next season. I'm kind of undecided and I'm going to listen to you guys' thoughts on these and, and hopefully that'll influence my decision. Uh, Spoonie, we'll go to you first. What are, sure. you, what are you facing off in, in favour of here? Okay, so I think handoffs are kind of important, obviously.
0: It's an important skill, but it's also just kind of like the cousin of the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I'd if he was that ridiculously efficient on pick and roll possessions, I would think that would be an easy one. But like handoffs usually flow into other stuff. They're not really they're not often a way to get the guy receiving the handoff a shot immediately. They can mm. be, but that's not their primary goal. Defending the pick and roll is something you have to do on basically every single defensive possession, right? And if you are elite at defending the pick and roll, that's incredibly, incredibly valuable. So I got to go KP pick and roll defense.
1: It I can envision right now Derek White coming off. And I feel like this flows right into his floater. It's like him yep. coming <laughs> off these com, coming off these handoffs and getting downhill anytime he can get a little bit of space. He's just so effective in these positions. I want to see so much, so many more handoffs in the Celtics offense. I feel like it just is just leaving food on the table when it comes to that part of the offense. I ha- I like the the pick and roll defense. Like, I think something that Celtics fans have, or just it's so hard to defend pick and rolls. Like, there's the NBA is getting so good at it. Like, the Hawks series, like trying to defend, you know, the Embiid hard and pick and roll. Um, it's just so difficult. And if you can have a guy that's elite at it and um, if I, basketball, uni- NBA university posted this today, which I just, which I just pulled up. This is like 2023 20, rim protectors. The lower you are, the better you are percentage wise. And Porzingis is kind of like writing them like th- towards the bottom with like Brooke Lopez and Jaron Jackson. And um, oh yeah, that's exactly where you want him to be. So I think I have to go with Porzingis' pick and roll defense just because of how important it is in today's NBA and something that like has been an issue for the Celtics um, in both of the last playoff runs like, at times. Like it's just always going to be mm-hmm. a problem at times because the NBA has gotten like, – these guys are so good at running these. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I, like so if, exactly. So if you can have a guy that's elite at it, that's going to be so valuable.
2: I think I agree. Yeah, and Al got killed defending a drop so many times in the playoffs. Um, so to bring in someone who is just like – you know, statistically so much better than him in, in those positions uh, is very exciting. So I agree. Paul Zingas is pick and roll defense. Okay. Um, okay. Jake, are we He's over decided. to you? Spoonie, uh, we're over sp- to you. Spoonie,
1: geez, man. Spoonie can't get segment. <laughs> I, I can't get a I shot, can't, shot. I out. can't help myself. I can't <laughs> help myself. Sorry, can't <laughs> shut up. No, it's all
0: good, dude. Um, <laughs> all right. So I've got head-to-head one skill, Derek White versus Malcolm Brogdon in playmaking. Now hear me out. Okay. White averaged more assists, three point nine to three point seven. Brogdon with way more potential assists, which is pass that leads directly to a shot, no dribbling, seven point five to six point five higher assist percentage at twenty two to nineteen roughly. Uh, effectively, they're tied in assist points created. Uh, white higher assist to pass ratio. Um, and I believe a higher assist to turnover ratio, one of the highest in the league. So I think Brogdon is at, was asked last year to have a lot more of the ball. So I think that tends to explain those potential assist numbers in a lot of ways where like he's just passing to people more because he's effectively running the offense when Jason Tatum sits, whereas white was more of like the connector type, um, wasn't really the primary ball handler when he's out there and he still averaged more assists. And then we saw when smart was out and he did take over the lead role. He averaged like eight assists a game for two weeks. So I would, I, I, I'm i sure, I'm sure, I, I think I know where Jake is probably going on this one, so I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to go with Derek White, but Ben, <laughs> do you disagree? Can you make the Malcolm Brogdon argument?
2: Oh, I was so, I had the Derek White argument deployed <laughs> and, and ready to go. <laughs> uh, I can't make the Malcolm Brogdon argument because when I close my eyes at night, I see him throwing the, the pick yeah. six to Maxie in the playoffs. <laughs> and so I can't attribute... Playmaking to Malcolm Brogdon. I understand what you're saying, as far as like he was his role was kind of dictated to him at the beginning of the season. It'll be interesting to see, you know, with the subtraction of Smart and a huge amount of playmaking going out the door. There, Smart obviously ranking tops in in playmaking for the Celtics, you know, last season at least. If that influences Malcolm Brogdon's approach and the the coaching of Malcolm Brogdon, but with the data that we have and the visions I see in my in my dreams and my nightmares, I have to I have to go with Derek White. Jake
1: <laughs> I, On the potential assists I wonder how many of those Are like Brogdon drives There's like five seconds On the shot clock He gets stuck And he just like Throws a grenade out And someone has to take Like a, a late shot clock three I feel like that happened A fair amount I think it has to be Has to be Derek White I think at this point I I can't I can't get out of my head. Yeah. The amount of times Rob Williams was like wide open under the rim and uh, Malcolm Brogdon missed him. I really appreciate you making the argument there. Like I, this is like why when I need, when I need to get out of jail, Spoony's going to be the first lawyer I call. He can make an argument for anything. Oh, you're
2: in trouble, buddy.
1: <laughs>
0: All right. That one's decided full sweep for Derek White as it should have been. So Jake, what's next?
1: All right, here we go. So this is a little bit different. Um, Al Horford's defense, specifically on Joel Embiid, or the Celtics shooting against the Milwaukee Bucks. I think Ooh. Al Horford's been the Embiid stopper verse, you know, for for years now. The fact that he left Philly and then came back multiple years older. The fact that he outlasted Embiid in these playoffs and made him look like just not even an All NBA player. He disappeared in. Game seven, game four, the one that the Celtics blew kind of at the end there. Like Al Horford was blocking him over and over again. PJ Tuck had to scream in Embiid's face because he was going back into his shell. Thanks to uh, Al Horford. Al Horford was elite against one of the premier scorers in the NBA again. On the other hand, Milwaukee Bucks, kind of our like main rival as far as getting to the finals. The last 17 games, against the Bucs. The Celtics are shooting 40.3% from three. They cannot defend us. The the Celtics are at their best when we get the drive and kick game going and the Bucs just cannot keep the Celtics out of that. Ben, I'll throw to you.
2: Well, from what I know of the Bucs, and this will probably change with the the coaching change, or I hope for their sake it does, but they give up a lot of corner threes, schematically speaking, and the Celtics are uh, full of three-point shooting talent. So it's, it's less about our ability to shoot well against a specific team for whatever reason. It's more about how the Bucks defend all teams and us being like the beneficiary of that because of the makeup of our roster. Whereas Horford's ability to lock down Joel Embiid, first of all, as Horford increases in age, I'm worried about that specific talent diminishing. So it makes me want to, like, hold on to that for another <laughs> year and, and choose our whole And just, you know, Joel Embiid, he was the MVP of the league. He's a dominant player. You know, respect to Joel Embiid as much as we love to shit on the sixes. The fact that we have, like, one of, what, like, three or less guys in the league who can effectively, like, lock him down, which is crazy, is a huge diamond in the rough and a huge benefit for the Celtics. I think... If the Bucks schematically change the way they defend teams and we have to find other ways to score against them, especially now with Porzingis, I think we have the talent to figure that out. But I don't think like the league is short on personnel who can lock down an MVP like Embiid. So it's got to be Horford's defense for me.
0: 42.1 and 20. Joel Embiid shot 42.1% from the field against in the, in the conference semifinals and 20% from three. <laughs> mainly because of al. that's insane he yeah, won yeah. the mvp <laughs> that's absolutely absurd he held the 42 percent from the floor um so I, I think like it's awesome how we light up milwaukee but uh it's got to be big al for me plus and i'll cheat a little bit how good he defends Embiid is also some of the reason he's so good against uh, at defending Giannis as well so i gotta go with big al
1: Ah, damn it. <laughs> I really wanted to make the argument for Phil Milwaukee's uh, shooting. Do no- it. Nothing brings me more joy than watching the Celtics light the Bucks up from downtown. Yeah. Um, think about Christmas this past season. Um, obviously, the game we won by like 40 points going into kind of the last few weeks of the season um, where everyone's like, I oh, this is going to get the one seed. It's Celtics and Bucks at the top. Celtics slammed that door closed. Obviously, we have Game Seven against the Bucks. I don't know. I just i I'm not scared of the Sixers anymore. Oh, uh, like anymore? Never was. Um, and so like I'm not I'm not worried about them. And so to me, I want to hold on to my weapon against like a more formidable foe. And okay. so, like the Jason Tatum 46 point game, I want to hold on to that those those special powers more so then I, then I need Al Horford's ability to guard Embiid. Even though I'm like very confident that Al's going to have this ability come playoff time again next year if we run into the Sixers again, because I don't, I, I think it's similar to what happens to us against the Heat. It's not just physical. There's a mental element too, and that's not going away for the big dog anytime soon.
0: That's a very compelling argument, Jake. I like yeah. that one a lot. Yeah, like we need it against Milwaukee. Like yeah. it's going it to
2: fall apart some way, somehow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but all right, it sounds so like slight, way we're two to ahead. one in favor of, of here I yeah. go again. Sorry, Spoonie.
0: I was going to sum us up, but Ben, please take the floor. No, honestly, I, I need to learn
2: shut up. Go
0: for it. No, it's all good. Yeah, so slight edge to uh, Big Al, but yeah, that was a very good argument, Jake. You got me teetering big time. All right, Ben, what's next?
2: All right, am I permitted to speak?
0: <laughs> yes, yes, you are.
2: You may. All right, wait, hold on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Rob Williams transition offense or Derek White's clutch scoring. So Rob Williams in transition ranked one hundredth percentile. You can't get any higher than that folks. Just for all the math nodes out there. Uh scoring at an 88% frequency on transition plays where and I sought clarity on this from YouTube before we went live. Rob Williams transition offense as far as like NBA stats and Synergy is concerned, he has to be the play finisher to be for it to be you know aggregated in these mm-hmm. rankings. So 100% of 88% score frequency, 100% effective field goal percentage, which like if you think about the way that Rob Williams finishes plays in transition. Like you can picture it. This is dunks, 100% all day, every day. <laughs> so, very high efficiency on that particular formal offense for the Celtics and therefore very important. Or Derek White's clutch scoring, which uh, in the clutch, which is, I think, within five minutes and the score within five ish, a plus 10 net rating, 56.5% from three in clutch, and a 72% effective field goal percentage. So, just like incredibly, incredibly impactful in clutch. Um, in clutch moments, so those two, I don't know, very important for the Celtics. I find it difficult to think of which one I would do away with. Spoonie, what do you think?
0: Okay, Rob's transition stuff is awesome, but I feel like it's un- it's not unnecessary, but it's like not crucial. It's not critical just because Jalen and and Tatum are both really good in transition as well. So it's like we have other weapons. We're terrible in the clutch.
1: (laughs) We're absolutely.
0: I'm shocked Derek White's net rating is plus 10 in the clutch because I feel like everybody else's must be negative. So I think just from that sheer fact of like, we need people to be good in the clutch so very badly. Whereas like transition-wise, like, well, if Rob's not out there, you can give it to Jalen Brown, who's an absolute menace in transition. So I would take D. White. D. White's gonna sl- sweep every single one he's <laughs> in, isn't he? But I'll yeah. take it D. White's clutch scoring, yeah.
1: <laughs> but this has kind of been the story of the offseason. I feel like has been okay. We're giving the keys to Derek White here. And the more that we dive into a lot of this stuff, it's like, why was Derek White playing 28 minutes a game when he was kind of playing like a borderline all-star for yeah. the entire season and throughout the playoffs. Well, there was some s- sketchy moments for Derek White in the playoffs as well, but for the most part, he was elite all season long. And the more we look into stuff like this, it's like, well, our clutch scoring is an, an issue. Well, with, let's get rid of the guy that sometimes has, ends up taking the last shot because everybody shaded away from him and make sure the guy that is shooting 50% from three <laughs> is playing instead. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I have to I have to I, I will say though, Ben, like this transition stat from Rob, we were talking about the pace lineup last um last episode with like Pritchard and and um and Jalen and O'Shea and I forget who else was in there, but we were kind of tossing up whether it would be Rob or or Plazingas because, you know, Rob's obviously getting up and down the court the fastest of all the big men, but Plazingas has the trailer threes. This kind of speaks to, like, Rob's ability to, like, juice the pace that we play with, and I think that he brings that one of the Celtics, you know weaknesses or you know, deficiencies is that when they, when they do play slow and that could also fix the, the clutch scoring as well. It's like, can we go, can we get into transition sometime outside of the first three quarters? Cause that would be, that would be beautiful. Uh, Cause I think that that's a big part of um, the clutch scoring as well. But I think you just got to go with like, these numbers are insane.
0: Yeah. They both are really a hundred percent pretty yeah. nuts too. Yeah. D white. Ben. yep <laughs> yeah all right I figured <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right i'll move this on <laughs> um okay so kind of a weird one because they're very different players but sam hauser and al versus al horford in perimeter defense so i i Sometimes NBA.com's point per possession defensive numbers are a little wonky, but Hauser, 54th percentile in points per possession in ISO, so pretty damn good, like above average or slightly above average defending isolations. Horford, 39th percentile. Um, again, these are a little wonky. Uh, I think they both have some intangible aspects about their perimeter defense in that Horford's a center, and he allows you to switch, uh, just being slightly below average um, Uh, defending isolations as a center is incredibly valuable and hauser has as i we've deemed it the house trap where he just completely (laughs) undermines people's offenses because they can't help but attack them so uh ben i'll throw it to you first who you got
2: uh i think i gotta (laughs) go i think i gotta go hauser i'm a huge fan of the house trap um and just his role in this upcoming season, like, we've yet to see any sort of indication that we're pursuing any sort of defensive wing, uh, and therefore we we kind of need Hauser to possess some form of perimeter defense. Um, I, I get what you're saying, you know, with Horford, but we talked about, you know, with Rob's transition skills, like, it's less of a necessity, and I think that's my approach with, with choosing Hauser over Horford here.
1: Yeah. I think and I think when you look at next season, I do think that drop is gonna be a massive part of what we're doing next season and a lot of zone. So I don't think we're gonna need Al to do as much isolation. But that being said, I this give give me give me Hauser's isolation scoring because nothing makes me happier than watching like Aaron Holiday get Sam Hauser on a switch and think like, oh yeah, it's Aaron Holiday time. It is, in yeah. fact, not our Holiday time. <laughs> um, yeah. Or Tyler Hero is a good example of what's like these these kind of like below tier one scorers in the league, and thinking they've got the the white boy on the other side that they can take advantage of. And uh, he's he's held up remarkably well. So give me give me Hauser, and I think that the the Celtic staff believes that he can hold up too.
0: Yeah, I I think so too. I and I, this is actually a pretty big drop off for Horford, who is like well above average in isolation the last couple of years. So I think, um, you know, Jake, you said it. We're going to be changing how we play defense, and I think Al's kind of lost a step, half a step, uh, sliding his feet out on the perimeter, and that with including Porzingis is like you know big reasons why we're heading that direction. So yeah, I. Got to go with Hauser, which is like this time last year. I yeah. never thought we'd be praising Hauser's defense as much as we have. But uh, yet he was legitimately average, which is fantastic for Great. him. So, yeah, big sweep for Sammy Hauser. Um, looks like Ben, you're next up, right? Jake, you just had the two.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, just, I just had the two, so Ben, okay, you're okay. you're on the clock.
2: This is like point one of a whole uh, take here, so you know, I'm a big <laughs> dimensions guy, huge on the dimensions here on this podcast, just very quickly, Derek White's skull or, and I'll, I'll circle back on that, or Walshie's wingspan, and I, you can apply this to like your life as well as like just life within the Celtics sphere as well, so Derek White, hairline, Struggling for years, notably. I think we all know the headband. A lot of headband was doing a lot of work there. He finally came home, shaved it back, unveiling really the perfectly shaped skull. Michael Jordan esque. Yeah. And like, <laughs> why didn't you unveil that years ago? It looks great. And we saw him at House's wedding. Fantastic with the suit there, the skull on display, and it's it's beautiful, sort of spherical shape. Outstanding. <laughs> Walshi, the wingspan. And this is where I, and first of all, like, um, you know, we're all going to lose our hair at some point, right? Like, mine's creeping back. It's it's going to go eventually. So to be blessed with, a, with a, a beautifully shaped skull is, you know, obviously that's a huge benefit in life because you can just shave it and keep on going with your life. Walsh's wingspan. Obviously on the basketball court, hugely effective as well. But, you know, you're on a ladder. You can't quite reach the gutter to clear it out. Suddenly you've got Walsh's two wingspan. No problem. We're reaching the, the mugs at the top of the, uh, of the shelf there to get the clean, unused coffee mugs, maybe the, the special crockery. You've got some guests coming around. You've got Walshie's 7'2 wingspan. No problem at all. So both beneficial things to have on and off the basketball court. White Skull, Walshy's wingspan. Spoonie, what's your choice? <laughs> uh, this is, wow, this
0: is a bloodbath. This is Battle of the Juggernauts. Yeah. Um, I, I think if I was 20... I would absolutely take Walsh's wingspan when I actually played basketball like fairly often, and it would be super helpful in that scenario now that I'm old and washed up. I don't know how much benefit I'm really getting out of the wingspan, although it would look- rid- i'm like five ten five eleven it would look ridiculous if I had like a seven foot three wingspan. I'd probably get could a D3 roll. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I still got eligibility, baby. Um, but uh, I think I got to go with Derek White's skull. I have a very bizarrely deformed skull. Like, luckily, I'm not losing my hair because yes. I got, like, bumps and lumps and valleys and peaks on here. So give me the nice spherical dome of Derek
1: White. Okay. Wow. Wow. This is, this is amazing. Um, yeah. I will... Wa- as someone who's gonna look, where we're we got the hat on today. We don't usually wear a hat, but like we're 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 getting close. Well, you know we're holding on to October seventh, where the um when the wedding is, and um, we're gonna be we're gonna probably be Derek whiting this thing sooner rather than later. So I'm I'm gonna have to take the 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 the, 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 the spherical head. I, I don't, I've never really even thought about whether or not my head shape or not. I'm gonna start definitely be investigating this over the next
2: twenty four hours. Deal. Yeah, so, I shaved um, my head during the pandemic and realized I do not have Derek White. So oh I'm not no. blessed with the Derek White uh, head scalp there. Well, you guys
1: have beautiful head of hair. The, the carrying the, f- the, the, the honestly, four out of five of the of the first of the floor um, hosts have beautiful head of hair. Um, so rounding out the starting five, we we're to have a nice spherical head, hopefully. Um, but man, as 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 someone who's five seven, having a seven foot two wingspan would be so hilarious and and, and also <laughs> yeah. fun. Like yes. I'm like I'm going to play pickup this week and if, if just imagining having the seven foot two wingspan would be would be so much fun. Um, you know, and like I refuse to ask for help in the in the grocery store because like you know, bless blessed with the above average vertical, so I I'll go up and get some stuff off the top yeah. off, the, off the top, right? <laughs> it's no big deal. But um but yeah, you gotta you gotta go to the head. You gotta go to the head. I'm I'm too washed to be talking about wingspans.
2: <laughs> All right, it's a sweep.
0: Yep, already. Um, Okay, last one. Yeah, this is a a slight change in tone. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, I have two more. I think I'm just going to skip one of them uh, because it's too depressing, so I'm just going to (laughs) delete that one on the the run sheet right now. (laughs) Peyton Pritchard versus Malcolm Brogdon, three-point shooting. All right, but hear me out. Hear Mm -hmm. me out. Brogdon, 44.4% last year, but shot 31% the year before that, and he's basically gone every other year efficient three-point shooting less efficient efficient 31 was his worst uh and he was 38.8 the year, two years ago so uh this was the first season pritchard was below 41 percent, still at 36.4 um and it's basically because he couldn't make a corner three shot 30 percent on those but 39 above the break pritchard got deeper range i feel like he can uh, he can really fire from deep and stretch out the defense. Uh, Brogdon shot 42% from the corners and 44% from above the break. <laughs> and his catch and shoot and pull up were basically the same thing. They were mm-hmm. both like 44%. So insane shooting season from Brogden, But you could see, like, I, I'm afraid he might, we ha- might have some regression here because 44% is just absurd. Like, if he drops down to like 37%, like that's gonna ding his efficiency pretty severely, and Pritchard has just been basically an elite shooter since he stepped on to the NBA court. So, Jake, who you got?
1: Yeah, I I feel co- so confident in Pritchard shooting. Mm-hmm. I, I like since he's come in the come in the league, and Brogdon, it was just it just it was like a dream run for him all the way up until the conference finals. Unfortunately, someone in here, Dave D, bad feeling about Malcolm Brogdon this year. Yeah, I mean, obviously the trade stuff, the forearm injury. It hasn't been like an awesome run of Malcolm Brogdon stuff since he got injured. Plenty of time, obviously, between that and the season starting. But yeah, I I have a weird feeling about Brogdon too. Give me give me Pritchard. I'm I'm I think we 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 probably are due for a Pritchard segment, uh maybe maybe next week, because like he should play. Like right now, I have him as like pretty like much the like the third guard, the ninth, eighth man in the in the rotation. So kind of talking about his career and stuff like that because I'm like I think this could be the perfect role for him on this team, and I and I really that stretch where the Celtics were just like dominating. Um, all teams in the second half of 2022. I feel like there's a Nuggets game on the road that comes to mind where like Pritchard would come in, Tatum would be like leading the bench, the lead would be like eight or nine or 10, and all of a sudden Pritchard hits like two or three threes and they're just like raining fire on top of guys. He, I like, I like the way that he pushes the pace. Yeah, so obviously, we're, I've just gone on a pitching tangent non shooting, but like, I trust his <laughs> shooting. I know from range, his percentage was like really, really good last year. Mm. I, I really, I really trust Pritch's shooting.
2: Yeah, I think this is the one I struggle with the most because three point kickout options for the Jays it's so important, particularly for Tatum, who actually has the playmaking chops. And in that sense, Brogdon's most likely going to log more minutes with the Jays. And get more kick-out three-point opportunities. And therefore, the necessity for him to maintain what he displayed the season's past is really important. Uh, that said, I mean, also for Brogdon this year, it's probably the least defensive attention he's ever had in his career. So you could sort of correlate that with the yeah. uptick in, in three-point shooting. So, I think i got to go Brogdon just because the, the necessity for his three-point accuracy and, and the volume that he'll get, the the playing time that he'll get compared to Pritchard, like, it's just more important that he continues to do that well. And, yeah, like, I'm less in, in line with what you said, Jake. I'm less worried about Pritchard and his shot. So, I, don't, I feel like I can, like, leave that alone. I don't have to touch that if that makes sense. yeah
1: Honestly, even going back and looking, like, just quickly at basketball reference, like, he's just shot – Brogdon's shot so many threes. In yes. his career, like one thousand six hundred and eighty-five, he's thirty-eight point eight percent. It's like that's such a big sample size that, like, he's a really good shooter, right? Like he he's had a, that that season before he came to the Celtics. He was at thirty-one percent. That was where he only played thirty-six games, so mm-hmm. his lowest volume by like a pretty good, pretty good chunk. And then he had one other season where he was below like the thirty-five percent range. So. I think you kind of swung me there, Ben. I think I'm back onto Brogdon. Just like the, the sample size is so large with with Brogdon that I, I do, tr- you have to trust it, obviously, at this point. And there's definitely credence to the fact that instead of being the lead creator, he was just, he had so much more space to work with. Like, how many wide open catch and shoot threes did he have, right? It's like, of course, the percentages look good.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, Ben. That this is the first time he's really been around. I, I mean, he was with Giannis, but he was just a different player his first couple of years. Um, this, this clearly, he had the most space, and he was absolutely money on open threes. Uh, but even if he drops down to like thirty nine percent, like I expect Pritchard to be over forty percent next year. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like Pritchard is an elite three point shooter. That's probably the only thing he's elite at, but it's a pretty important one. So I, like, yeah, I agree that I think this is a really hard one. Um, but I, I think importance-wise, it's absolutely Malcolm Brogdon's three-point shooting. And I anticipate he'll have a higher volume and a very comparable percentage. So I, I would probably go with Brogdon as well.
1: Yeah. I will just say, because Ra- uh, Razin Khan in the chat here, and a shout-out, you've been watching a, a fair few times in the chat here. Um, last season, Pritchard 38% on catch-and-shoot versus 327 on pull-ups, both on low volume. He's not going to – I'm not really worried about his pull-up threes – Really, it's all about the catch and shoot. And then also you think about his role last season. It's it's He it was so inconsistent in and out mm-hmm. of the lineup. Um, a lot of that's garbage time. I, I think you have to look at the first two seasons more so as far as having a, a more consistent role and having the bigger volume. And when he did have that, he was a better shooter. So I I, I, I would link close to that being more the type of shooter that he is. Yeah.
2: Well, I think that brings us to the end of Celtic's face off. Spoonie, fun, amazing does. job. Like this is all of, of from the mind of Wayne Spoonie, this, this segment. <laughs> That's concept. not true. That and is not uh, true. It's uh, <laughs> it is fantastic, a lot of fun. Uh, and those you know, folks in the comments, folks listening later, let us know your face off ideas. Cause yep. we've got what fifty something days <laughs> until uh, not training camp, but the preseason starts. That's a lot of time to fill. So um let us know in the comments. <laughs> Email us first the floor eighteen at gmail.com and we'll feature them on upcoming episodes. Um, quickly guys before we wrap up because as usual we are running very long here some (laughs) of the schedule has leaked namely and we'll just do it optional around the room here if you haven't got a take on it that's fine because it's it's really nothing season opener Celtics at home against the Heat on October 27th and then Christmas Day Celtics at Lakers Um, Spoonie I guess, like, the main takeaway from my perspective is, like, great, like, we've got to face the heat immediately again, and I worry about everything from, like, just losing the game to potentially being injured and all of the above. What's your take on just having to face the heat straight up right away? The one nice
0: thing is, like, we can maybe... Uh, exercise some demons immediately, right? We don't have to wait two months to play the Heat with that hanging over our heads. Like, we will know where they stand and where we stand in the first game of the season, so that's a nice thing, but... Yeah, I'm at the point where I'm just absolutely terrified of the Heat. So, I mean, <laughs> that kind of sucks. But the Lakers-Celtics, that's spicy. That's going to be fun.
1: Yeah, what better the what better Christmas present will there be than ruining Lakers fans' day on Christmas where Anthony Davis will probably be out for some injury and the Celtics will rain fire down upon them. Um, the Celtics will probably win on opening day too. And we'll be like, cool, it doesn't matter because we know the Heat are a different team in the playoffs.
2: It's like... That's that's <laughs> not me. Yep. Yeah, oh, the, you know, the monkey's I off know. our back, the curse has been broken, <laughs> we're winning over. the championship. Yeah, basically the <laughs> same knows? as opening night last week. They
1: may they, yeah, <laughs> they may not have, yeah, like last year's opening night was like the best day ever. I say that now. As soon as the game starts and we win the game, I'll be like, Yeah, championship's on, Ben are 18 on the way.
2: Just fun to start seeing this news leaking out And like it will happen mm-hmm. It's it's a ways away But it is going to happen And it's going to be glorious um, But we do need to leave it there Because we have gone over an hour yet again That is going to do it for this one Thank you so much for joining us Come on back on Wednesday night 8pm Where the guys from the Green With Envy podcast Are joining us for round two of our Celtics Trivia Bonanza Spoonie Jake Love your work guys Until next time Go Celtics Go Celtics